Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Beyond Sleep Training Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing real tales of how people have managed sleep in their family outside of sleep training culture. Because sleep looks different with a baby in the house. And because every family is different, there is no one-size-fits-all approach to take. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, the Kalkadoon people. I pay my respects to the elders of this nation and the many other nations our guests reside in from the past, present and emerging. We honour Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and the unique cultural and spiritual relationships to the land, water and seas, as well as their rich contributions to society, including the birthing and nurturing of children. Okay, and welcome back to the Beyond Sleep Training podcast. Today's guest is a wonderful lady called Leah Deshay. I have come across Leah's work online and she is an extremely knowledgeable, courageous and intelligent commentator on, in the online space. She's the mother of four and a reproductive specialist. Uh, another part of her work is also being an IBCLC uh, and a family doula although that's a much smaller portion of the work that she does these days. And Leah has a background in psychology, speech pathology, reproductive sociology and behavioural epidemiology. Uh, Leah is deeply passionate about maternal and infant mental health and particularly in high-risk circumstances. She's interested in public health prevention and reproductive risk reduction. Leah is from the USA, but currently living with her family in Germany, I believe while you're studying, Leah, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. I am um, in my my second attempt at grad school. And ironically, it's going much better this time, which nobody could have possibly predicted under the circumstances, but we're, we're, we're accepting it. We're just going with it. <laughs> 
Well done you because, yeah, it's not a, not an easy time to be trying to fit in study around all the other things you do in a global pandemic. So well right. done you. Pretty impressive stuff. Um, and before we get stuck into the episode, uh, can you let people know where they might find you on socials if they'd like to learn more about the things that you're up to? Um, you know, I am right now I'm, I'm doing so much background work, like content editing for um, brands and large advocacy pages. I do a lot of um, a lot of administrative management in the background uh, for certain spaces as well. So. I don't know. I don't have a space that's associated with my name and face necessarily, but the one that it's easiest to get a hold of with me is um, called Fam Dulala. And um, please don't. It actually that name was a joke. It was my my husband razzing me actually, <laughs> and we thought it was uh, kind of cute and pretty catchy. Um, but it's sort of a, a twist on family doula, and so uh, I have a family doula page that I manage called Fam Doula Law, and we talk about all of the intersections of every social, um, every major social, developmental, and um, uh, oppressive part of systems that interact to either create progress for families, you know, in, in everything from honoring developmental respect in children to, um, equitable partnering. Um, and then on the flip side of that, all of the things that are still being perpetuated in all of those intersections that, um, are enabling the presence of, of prejudice and any sort of oppression and abuse or, or what have you. So it's an interesting page because I've not come across a page that really is collectively looking at those intersections on a regular basis. You know, most of them are concentrating on um, just one specific part of the challenge of partnering or conceiving or pregnancy or, you know, whatever stage of reproduction people are in um, and of uh, family construction that people are in. And so this is not necessarily looking at individual nuances between families so much as it is looking at like the collective influence on different parts of society on families, either for progress or, um, as a challenge and what we can do about it. So that's the so, best place to find me. That's awesome. And so that's like a sociological kind of lens going over the top. It of is. It's exactly what it is. Yeah. Brilliant. That sounds absolutely amazing. And I'm already following the family to the last. So I'm really looking to forward to seeing what comes of it over the next while as well. Well, I'll everyone sure. should know that there's a warning on <laughs> anytime you put up anything about racism or sexism, like literally anything lately, all of, all of the pages I know who have done that explicitly, like talked about, you know, this is a problem with racism or this is a problem with sexism or this is a problem with prejudice or this is a problem with child abuse, um, have gotten content warnings which is totally a conversation for a completely different podcast. Mm. <laughs> so it's yeah. good for people to know. And like, they disabled my ability to boost. So like, I can't pay to promote the page right now. Um, unless I take off any content that's like talking about racism at all. I tell um, you, like there is a whole other podcast talking about yep. community standards because it's <laughs> the things are ridiculous. Absolutely. And so inconsistent. Like, I'm yes. sorry, if you're going to have community standards, you need to have people monitoring them, not bots for a start. Right. And then there's a whole other conversation about what those standards actually are. Correct. Anyway, but 
Holy moly. Yeah. That's so just so people know. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And it's worthwhile knowing because it's that kind of thing too. It's kind of like, why aren't we seeing more conversations? Correct. And it's because they're getting hidden by the algorithms intentionally. So I'm telling everybody that so that you can seek it out. And I know you on your page that you have dealt with content that has, has been buried as well. Like, I don't know anybody in these spaces who has not attempted to get into like progressive advocacy on any level, um, breastfeeding, you know, sleep training, all of those things, all of a sudden it just, the post just disappears and nobody can see it. So letting people know a little bit of traction and then all of a sudden, nothing it evaporates that's right it's like yeah Oh, yeah. oh, the algorithm found it. Cool. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so definitely painful. look for me intentionally was the only reason I wanted like look for me intentionally talk yeah. about the page intentionally like send it to people intentionally because it's not gonna it's not gonna be found otherwise like not if it's left up to Facebook or Instagram's devices. <laughs> yeah, that's and it's fair. I think people need to understand that too, because the organic growth and the organic spread of things can't be relied upon when it comes to algorithms. No, they just, you just can't. So if you know that it's important content, then you need to do your part in actually making sure that it reaches more people by spreading it yourself. That's how it works. So no, that's great. Thank you for letting us know that. And then I think we really should dive into the actual episode because what our listeners are looking forward to hearing is about how you've approached your family and the way you've, sorry, the way you've approached sleep with your family and how that's looked in uh, a world where it's, move beyond the sleep training norms that have come to be expected for families when they're raising their little ones? Um, You know, it's an excellent question. And I think um, I'm confident that a lot of my zeal for what I do in my work will become apparent through my background. So um, I would, I would say I'm going to introduce a couple terms here. And if people are interested in talking about like introduction of new terms, I'm a big fan of like naming things. I feel like when you give a description to something, you have the power to, to influence it for good. So we, I I think, especially as primary parents, those of us who have um, any sort of femme orientation, uh, this is also really important for us. There's a lot of dynamics that we deal with as people who birth and people who breastfeed that, um, there was so much taboo around them that you, you couldn't really talk about them, much less name them and, and really give them their own space to be their own dynamic that's discussed. So, um, I hope it's okay. I'll introduce a couple terms here. Um, I actually in, analyzing my own background, I would say that I had a level of cultural privilege. Um, And cultural privilege for me is a term that I I introduce a lot of terms on the FamDulala page. And and cultural privilege is when you come from a culture whose defaults um, already decentralize abusive dynamics that are otherwise present in like default Western society. You know what I mean? So a lot of people who are still in touch with more indigenous backgrounds or um, who come from a counterculture sort of upbringing um, frequently have cultural privilege in the sense that 
it has affected their mindset in a way that they are already preemptively, they already notice the things about the society they're in that are damaging to them. And they have the wherewithal and the propensity to fight against them. The other type of cultural privilege is, is a completely different. Um, well, I, I call that cultural entitlement. And so I differentiate between the two. Cultural entitlement is when you're part of a default culture, you know, that is basically bulldozing all of the cultures around it for the sake of its own indulgence, you know, and power. And so privilege in this sense does not mean it's a privilege is such a fascinating word right now because it's like taking on a mind of its own in our culture. <laughs> like every day I get on social media and I see it being used in a new way where it's like, this is really intentional, you know, but <laughs> that's also for a different podcast. Um, yeah. For me, privilege is privilege. It, it literally just means something that you do not, something you did not innately work for that you, it, you know, it doesn't come from merit, but that you have, it's been bestowed upon you and it gives you um, an advantage of some sort. And so for me, my cultural privilege is coming from a background where um, breastfeeding was normalized in my culture. Co-sleeping was normalized. I co-slept with my parents. You know, I was breastfed for almost two years and that was in the eighties, which was extremely unusual <laughs> in the United States, right? Yeah. The U S context <laughs> even more so. Wow. Yes. So um, I was delivered by a midwife who was like the midwife that delivered all the siblings in my family. Um, so I, <laughs> I, I grew up with a norm that is that people are now trying to push to become the norm. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And my parents were very, very counterculture, you know, 35, 40 years ago. Um, so with that in mind, that I pretty much grew up in a, and my whole family was like that. And so that's why I say I have cultural privilege. Like when it was very, very normal, all of my memories of seeing babies fed before the age of one involved them being fed at the breast during my childhood. And I had a huge family, so it's not a small statement. Like I had only two siblings. I have two brothers, but I had 22 cousins. <laughs> so and we spent a lot of time together. Like every family had three to four kids. And yeah, I just breastfeeding was very normal for me. Watching babies breastfeed to sleep was normal for me. You know, my first introduction to babysitting was being a 12, 13 year old girl and my mom and, you know, her sister wanting to go out and grab something to eat or whatever. And asking, did I want to stay because it was nap time? You know, this, this is the nineties for people who were like, what? Listen, 20, 25 years ago, that was normal. <laughs> I right? them. I'm also an 80s baby. So yeah. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> I do. So the latchkey kid thing, it, it was a thing. Um, and you know what? I was fine at the time and things have changed substantially and that's okay. We're okay with that. You know, I'm a big fan of taking people relative to their context that they grew up in. So at the time in the mid nineties, as, as a teenager, mid to late nineties, that was normal. Um, yeah, but I, and I didn't really ask any questions because I just repeated what had been modeled for me. We didn't have a lot of crying. Um, we didn't have a lot of tantrums when we did, unless it was really extraordinary defiance or, or destruction where, you know, a child was trying to harm other children or themselves or, or really trying to break everything all over the house, which almost never happened. Um, when kids were peevish for any reason, they either 
got like a pat on the head or like, okay, you're having a time right now. <laughs> and then like, just like, especially like if it was like, no, you cannot climb up on the stove. And then the kids like having a temper tantrum and my parents or my aunts would just like remove them from the area they were in to have a temper tantrum in the living room so that they were in the way. <laughs> and eventually the child was like, oh, yeah well nobody is nobody's attending this yeah exactly but also like if they wanted somebody if it was like a thing where they wanted attention it was either like well the only attention you're getting right now is to keep you safe because i'm still cooking and you still can't climb on the stove so you let me know you want to come back in the kitchen and help if you want to cry i'm not going to stop you but i'm going to keep making spaghetti like it was just very nonchalant yes (laughs) very nonchalant very matter of fact, there wasn't a lot of heightened emotion on the adult side, right? Um, so I, I really do feel like in all of those senses, I had a lot of cultural privilege. And so when I started babysitting and then nannying in high school, my defaults were based on what had been modeled for me. And at the time, I I made a lot of money as a nanny in high school in the summers. I lived in a Mormon area, <laughs> so not too. I, there were lots of children for me to babysit. We'll just put it that way, like living in a Mormon town. No shortage of little people. No shortage of kids that parents wanted to get some space away from at the moment. Um, so I was already familiar with managing large families from my own. And then as a teenager, it just wasn't a thing, but I got a reputation even as a young lady for like being capable and and not being stressed out by those circumstances. But that's because stress had not been modeled for me. And I leave space for that to, you know what I mean? Like people, I, we don't give enough stock for our defaults coming from our experiences. And as, as an adult now, the amount of times I have reached out to my parents and my aunts and my grandparents in gratitude, and <laughs> that's something they don't really understand either because they, they're also, they were also operating on their defaults. So, so much of this was just passed down. Then when I tell them, thank you, they're like, okay, for what? I mean, you know, they're, they're humbled, they're humbled by it, but they're also like confused. Like I can always hear them being like moderately confounded. Um, but that's because we, my family up until this generation, until my generation with my cousins and everything else, we lived like in the same areas and we socialized, you know, mainly with each other and with close family friends. And so there was a significant amount of like cultural isolation. So I think my parents and my grandparents and like the older generations who are now 60 and above, they don't know what it's like for a lot of, they don't know the amount of stress that is involved in, in matricence, in, in becoming a mother for so many women and, and people who identify that way. They don't know, they don't understand the statistics about how the dynamics change in, in really negative ways for a lot of partnerships and a lot of marriages after they have children because people are unprepared. And I don't say that in a way that it's not their fault they're unprepared, but our society does not do a good job of like giving people accurate expectations, helping people understand children's behavior. And for a lot of adults, there's so many things that they've never been given the opportunity or the support to unpack in their own childhood. You know, the concupiscence of all of that bearing down on them once they have kids is just incredibly overwhelming. Um, so as I came into my field, it was a lot of me lining up 
like, why is my experience with my mental health and everything? Why, why is my default? Why are my assumptions so different than what's going on in society right now? Um, and that was, that happened in my early twenties. So 15 ish years ago, I'm dating myself now. <laughs> um, I'm with you. Don't worry about that. I'm pretty sure we're about the same age. So yeah, yes. right there with you. <laughs> so, um, and that's where I, I just became fascinated with all of this because I, I started getting really, really into the effects of trauma, you know, um, the effects of, uh, attachment or lack thereof, which are things that as a child, you do not have control over. Right. And so you're always, um, you're always on the receiving end of whatever the outcome of attachment is going to be, um, not to blame parents, you know, everybody's got their own issues, but the fact of the matter is the, those who are the most vulnerable, in, in family circumstances are children at the time that they are children, right? Um, they have the least amount of control over what happens in their lives as kids and also over how it's going to affect them when they're older. The only control they have as they age is coping. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, that's that pretty much, even from a teenager, I was fascinated in this. I wanted to be an OB guy initially in high school. Um, and then I got into pre-med and early college and I, I did not like medicine culture. Um, I love medicine, the practice, but the culture in the United States is so toxic, um, which has, you know, come forth in the news recently. <laughs> I think most people understand that globally. Um, it's really abusive. Like residents will go two, three days without, um, sleeping or eating a proper amount of meals. And it's just like, once you look at how doctors are treated, when they come into the field, you can understand all of the terrible statistics about our healthcare and our healthcare systems. <laughs> because if you're hazing the providers to get into the field, like, I don't know what sort of outcome you expect once they start treating patients. I'm not laughing because it's funny, but like, it's, it's no. just absurd. It's absurd. But that's, it is absurd. Like, it's kind of like, what outcome do they think they're going to get from that? What like, are you wow. expecting? <laughs> what effect would you like after treating yeah. your doctors like this for five to 10 years? Cause that's how long a lot of them are in residency, especially if they're specialists. Um, and it's so a mighty fine example too. Like you see yeah. how then the senior doctors start treating the juniors because that's Correct. how it's always been done. And it's that real oh, toxic yeah. cycle. You can yep. see it. And then it gets passed down to the patients and it, it's just been perpetuated that way. I, there is, there is change happening. Um, but it's been like this, Oh, that's definitely for a different conversation, but the vestiges of the current medical system are, are an outpouring of ten, of, um, of how medicine was practiced during slavery. And really most of the ghosts of the United States that are really afflicting the population right now are basically from the genocide of the native population and slavery. And like just the refusal of the people in power to confront that and try to amend it. And so it's just haunting the country collectively <laughs> on levels that I don't think anybody in our generation would have ever imagined, but it's good that people know now because like that gives you the ability to change it. But yeah, when I was pre-med, I, I started like interning in the hospital. I wanted to be, um, wanted to be an obstetrician, wanted to be a higher specialist. And I didn't after like one summer of interning, I was like, Oh no. And it wasn't because I didn't love the patients, but I was just like, Oh, I can't do this. And this is what's expected of me in this field, you know? And so between those two experiences, like my own very, um, isolated, nurtured default of basically what was attachment parenting, right? Like before it had a name, I experienced that on a familial level. 
and then trying to get into medicine and being like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. <laughs> like the field itself. Um, that really put me in a place of wanting to directly be able to impact patients and like starting to do case management and doing high risk research. I started all of that in my early twenties, um, in obstetrics, uh, fell in love with breastfeeding because breastfeeding to me is a bridge. It's a bridge between neurology, immunology, you know, um, physiology and, and it's a direct connection to like the things that you cannot quantify necessarily. So I, I find, I find breasts to be this fascinating portal because between some of the most complex medical things about the body and also the most intangible forces in relationships among human beings, you know, so it's just like two things, one that's really statistical and really technical and really medical in the sense of like how breasts work. It's, it's fascinating on a physical level. And we, the more we study it is the more we realize we have no, we don't understand. It's so complex and it's a process that no one on the planet can replicate. Um, the, the idea that you eat food and then the nutrients go into your blood system and then this is all happening simultaneously also like it's not, it's not like a one, two, three step process. It's, it's a, a multi-level process that's happening every second. And then you have this organ on your body that when you look at a child and feel like, Oh, like connected feelings, which are, how are we supposed to describe feelings? We try, we know what, like what hormones are associated, yeah. but still when you feel a feeling that's like feelings aren't medical at all, a huge, amazing biophysical process happens where your body pulls the nutrients back out of your bloodstream, makes them into milk and then like shoots them out of your organ into a kid. It's truly, <laughs> there's never been a point in time that I try to explain how mammary glands work, that I don't get fascinated with the body all over again, because it's truly it, the bridge, you know, it's just miraculous. It really is. It really is. And you can also see then why, when, when breastfeeding doesn't work out, why it has such a profound impact. Absolutely. It's, a, it's extremely, extraordinarily traumatic and the the trauma lasts a lifetime you know if you if you look at any sort of documentaries where you have women who are you know well on in their winter years and you know have grandkids that are independent you ask them about their breastfeeding experiences even more than birth you can ask them about their birth and they might be at a place where they laugh and everything else but you ask them about their breastfeeding and if it was bad they will go to a place of of sorrow all over again um, and I think it's, it really is a testimony to what a profoundly complex process it is. Um, so once I got introduced to that and I got introduced to that, uh, doing an HIV research study in South Africa on breastfeeding, um, truly just, I love complex things, obviously. So yeah, I fell in really. love with, <laughs> I fell in love with breastfeeding, like with, with everything about it, with the process, with the effect. And then the more I researched it, I was like, wow, you can actually like start to project the mental health of populations based on like the rate of breastfeeding. And like, you can collectively look at a population and, and possibly be able to guess how healthy the attachments are across the families, like based on their breastfeeding and sleep and birth experiences. This is amazing. Right. Um, and sometimes it's terrible. Like amazing can be many things. Amazing can be good. Amazing can be really bad. <laughs> so yeah, what is that it's word just the fact purpose. you can actually see the patterns. Absolutely. 
Um, so from that point on, for the last 15 years, I've just been totally enthralled um, with everything about the topic. And this happened right before I got pregnant with my first child. Um, so right, well, she'll be 10. <laughs> and well, that I'm brings just, me to the next part of the journey. <laughs> and I was just about to say, and we're coming up to our half hour shortly. So I feel like it might be a good spot if you're happy to stick around so we can yeah. hear about you and your babes. Cause that was a fascinating intro into how you actually came to be before you'd even had your babes. Um, yeah. but are you okay if we finish up this episode and then we can carry Absolutely. on with another one? That'd be okay. Yeah, we awesome. can do that. Well, usually at the end of the episodes, I ask the guests if they've got a tip that they'd like to share with people listening along. Did you have one you'd like to share today? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say, um, and I'm going to be really specific, so I hope that's okay um, yep. here. As a, I consider myself a feminist, and I'm sure you know that about me. <laughs> Most people who know me do. Um, as someone with, with a femme identity, um, and I am... I, I am in a place that I am like coming to terms with my own gender fluidity, also a different conversation, but I still, because it is because of my birthing and breastfeeding experiences that I still identify with being femme. Um, I really only identify with the biological side of my femininity. I do not have socially, I do not consider myself, I consider myself extremely androgynous um, from a social standpoint of gender. Um, but for those who you know, biological birthing and breastfeeding and all of that as part of our identity, I really emphasize, um, allowing yourself to allowing yourself to, to be completed by following your dreams and your passions. And that might seem like a really weird suggestion on a podcast like this, but it's relevant because the more we suppress our own needs and our own interests is the less capable we are of maintaining health in our relationships because, because we are struggling with our relationship with ourselves. Right. Um, so a guiding post for me, and we'll get to this in the next episode, I am divorced and remarried. Um, and being able to come to terms with, not being ashamed of my own desires and my own passions. And I'm not necessarily talking about sex. I mean, sex is important and, you know, it's something to talk about, but just in general, um, on an identity level, the things that drive me, the things that I want to do, um, like don't limit yourself because, because the world limits you. I was in a place before I had kids that I thought that I had to choose between <clears throat> being a researcher, being a provider and being a mother, because unfortunately one of the not so empowering sides of my upbringing. And I think for a lot of us who do have like, quote unquote, healthy family defaults, you know, where you don't shame baby sleeping patterns and all of this, um, it is often bridled with the assumption of like, that is quote unquote, the biological purpose of being female. So I struggle significantly with that between the ages of, of 20 and 30 and so really just in the last five to seven years, have I come to terms with separating my self-worth and, and really liberating my own capacity to affect the world outside of my family by allowing myself to, to validate my own dreams. Do you feel like that was part of your matrescence? Absolutely. I was just mm. about to say that. 
that was definitely one of the things for me too. It's like I had to go through this, like, it, like I've actually my psychologist like referred to it like going through a winter season while yep. I was really in the thick of my matrescence and everything did seem to fall away, but literally everything fell away. And it took me a like, you know, there was there was a period of time where I did lots of questioning. Who am I? What do I want? What do I, you know, where do and I And you know, it happens to almost everyone. It's just yeah. what what uh, the outcome is is what is the concern, right? And that's yeah. what affects our maternal health and our capacity to to stay connected to our own identity and, and feel some sort of self-worth. And it is a huge struggle for so many women. It yeah. really is. And I think I don't know about you too, but I needed time. <laughs> Because yes. I think there's a lot of pressure, you know, if you've just, you know, you're, you're like in the early stages of your matrescence, it can feel like, why haven't I got this figured out yet? Like, why haven't I got, you know, but sometimes it really is time. Like you, yep. you do feel lost for a while. It takes time. Um, so yeah, I, I, was that your experience also? Absolutely. Yeah. That was, that was why I was saying I struggled with it for an entire 10 years. And like, yeah. I've just come to the point, I've just found a pathway towards peace and, and fulfillment that is invigorating. And that has any sort of hope of balance being involved in the last five to seven years. And honestly, I don't know if that's encouraging. Like that's a long time to <laughs> look at a mother yeah. and tell her, well, it took me 15 years. <laughs> There's a lot of well, 21 think- year old women that are like, excuse me. <laughs> Yeah, well, they could, but the thing is too, as I guess it's reassuring in a way too that you don't have to have it all figured out in a short That's period true. of time. That's true. Because yeah. it's that growth. It's the yeah. you're you're constantly evolving. So just because you haven't got it figured out yet, it's not like that forever. You will, and it, you are important in that process. So it's Absolutely. that recognition. You can take time. It's okay. I think that's a really important message, really. I, I agree with you. And so hopefully it's not depressing for folks who are like, I, 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 you know, it depends. Personalities are all different. And, um, also if you're uncomfortable, the, the, the pressure and the urgency to escape the discomfort in the change process can be very high. So I know, especially with a lot of young mothers that are like very young, early twenties or what have you, um, hearing that it might take a long time is perhaps not exactly the message that they want to hear. But the good news is it wasn't, none of it was static. Like you were saying, it was all of that time was, was movement. All of that time was, um, was progress of some sort. It was reconciling. So there were things happening that were moving me towards peace and fulfillment. It wasn't as if I stayed in the place of like, you know, despair or fog for 10 years. That is not necessarily what happened. And so I, I think that that is a wonderful way to describe it. Um, but yeah, that would be my takeaway point. Like, I hear a lot of people that are like, wow, you're so passionate about what you want to do. You make me want to do it. And I'm like, well, I appreciate that, but unfortunately it doesn't work that way. Like you, you need to find your thing that when you describe it to other people that they get inspired by, by listening to how much you love it. And so that's my tip, like as just dive into your complexity as, as a woman, as a mother, anybody who, who finds themselves in a feminine um, orientation and give yourself space to grow, right? Like you, before you have kids, just like being pregnant (laughs) and it's uncomfortable, (laughs) like the growth process emotionally after the fact is uncomfortable. Like when you start out, you've never had kids, even though you have a uterus, you haven't like done anything specific with it, which is fine. 
And then all of a sudden it's this rapid growth and it's all of these demands on your body and all of these other things. And then even when the baby's out, nothing is the same. We have to give ourselves space mentally to also expand and to not be completely alarmed by the discomfort that comes with that growth. Right. Um, and this is not, don't ignore if you have mental health symptoms, that's not what I'm suggesting, but you know, like being frustrated is okay. Right. Like don't suppress that being right. Being, being dissatisfied is okay. And I feel like me saying those things are really important. There's so many women who I've sat in personal sessions and counseling that have just cried tears of relief when I look at them and it's like, it's okay for you to be frustrated. You know, right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But also you're, you're never, you're not going to be able to show your children the compassion and the growth and the acceptance that you desire to for their emotions until you practice that with, with yourself. Right. And so we can have other conversations about this concept of reparenting yourself or whatever. But even if you've come from a, a Really low trauma background, it's still going to be an enormous stretch to, to grow into, to grow this additional part of your mind where you are mothering people and still allow space for you to continue to grow as an individual. And so my tip is to just to let yourself give yourself room. Like it's okay. And allow yourself that. to feel all of your emotions and make sure that whatever decisions you make about sleep and about parenting, you know, parenting styles and, and your career versus staying home, make sure that you are always, um, getting in touch with yourself. Right. Um, because it's when you, when you can become confident about your, what you do want and what you don't want and, and your needs or your own questions, it becomes so much easier to navigate the relationships outside of yourself when you're making peace inside of yourself. So, that is my, I love that's my that. tip. <laughs> and that is a really wise way to finish this episode. So thank you so much for coming on today, Leah. It has Definitely. been an absolute pleasure hearing your background. And I can't wait for our next episode where we get to hear what happened when you welcomed your babes into the world. So thanks again for coming along today, Leah. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast today. The information we discussed was just that, information only. It is not specific advice. If you take any action following something you've heard from our show today, it is important to make sure you get professional advice about your unique situation before you proceed, whether that advice be legal, financial, accounting, medical, or any other advice. Please reach out to me if you do have any questions or if there's a topic you'd really like us to be covering. And if you know somebody who'd really benefit from listening to our podcast, please be sure to pass our name along. Also check out our free peer support group, the Beyond Sleep Training Project and our wonderful website, www.littlesparklers.org. If you'd like even more from the show, you can join us as a patron on Patreon and you can find a link for that in our show notes. If listening is not really your jam, we also make sure we put full episode transcripts on our Little Sparklers website for you to also enjoy and fully captioned YouTube videos as well on our Little Sparklers channel. So thanks again for listening today. We really enjoy bringing this podcast to you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.